Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, we're going golfing and counting down the top five things people lie about. So for me, I think the hardest part was the fact that I just basically threw all of my belongings in a car and drove down to Arizona. And I took a huge leap of faith there and just went for it. How do you make that jump? And be you know the top golfer on the lpga tour versus somebody like me who's currently you know scrambling on many tours what's the difference between me and those golfers and there really is a small difference you know this person gave up their life they they fought for our country and i got to share his story while i had the bag people would ask about it and i got to talk about him and share his story and meet his his parents I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So have you ever wondered if you have what it takes? You're good at something, but could you be really good? Could you be a professional? Could you be a professional on the highest level? Our first guest is going through that journey right now, and I think that she has this incredibly inspiring story about pursuing your dreams and really going after something that you want while also giving back to a lot of people at the same time and having a huge impact that way as well. This is professional golfer Haley Ostrom. So was golf the first sport or did you come into this later? grew up playing pretty much every sport known to man. My dad got me into the game when I was really young, but I kind of played a little bit of everything, soccer, basketball, volleyball, tennis, everything. And then I didn't start playing in tournaments until I was nine years old. Were you, are you pretty athletic? I like to say that I am athletic. I like to try new new stuff. Um, just recently, I've started learning how to snowboard. And then um, last week, I went and wakeboarded and learned to wake surf for the first time. So I'm definitely always curious about new sports. When, when we talk about like in relation to other professional golfers, though, like are – 
Is it athletic um, ability? Like, do you have an awesome <laughs> vertical or something? Or is, is there something else that makes a good golfer? Well, I definitely do not have an awesome vertical. I have white girl hops all the way, but I I would say yes in the grand scheme of things, a you know, general athletic ability that I have, but I don't think that golfers necessarily have to be athletic and well-rounded in all sports. I think it's such a specific um, type of athlete that is a good golfer. So I don't, you know, most of my professional friends, they're good golfers, but they probably aren't very good soccer players or basketball players. I think it's, it's not a general athletic ability in golf. When you kind of started to pursue this more seriously, was it because you really liked golf more than other sports or was it because you were, you were better at golf? It was definitely because I was better at golf, and I think I just one day kind of realized that this was my ticket to college, and in my household growing up, college was not an option. It was that it's that that's what you're going to go do. <laughs> that was what my parents were going to provide for my brother and I, um, but golf was going to be the way that I can kind of choose the college that I want to go to and be different, I guess. So I played volleyball as well as golf in high school. And it wasn't until my junior year that I decided I'm going to stop playing volleyball and I'm just going to focus on golf because that's going to be my ticket. When did you start considering it like, okay, I'm going to do this professionally now? Yeah, I would say it wasn't until going into my senior season at George Fox University that I realized I had improved so much over the course of those three years. And then my dad kind of put that idea in my head like, hey, maybe if you keep improving this year, this is going to be your breakthrough year. You know, I believe in you. Your coach believes in you. If you keep improving, you could really have a shot at uh, a future in golf longer than your college career. And so I think my, my senior year was that test run of like, all right, this is make it or break it. Like if I played really well my senior year, that I'm getting serious about it. But I think had I not had a really good senior year, maybe I wouldn't have continued to pursue it in professional golf. Did you have an easy transition into the professional ranks or has it been a struggle? Um, I wouldn't say that it was easy, but I also wouldn't say that it was a struggle. I think it's probably hard for anybody to try something new and, and <laughs> crazy for yourself and pursue something so different. I mean, there aren't that many people after college who pursue a professional career in a sport. They might they, they usually just take their degree and go pursue that. So for me, I think the hardest part was the fact that I just basically threw all of my belongings in a car and drove down to Arizona. And I took a huge leap of faith there and just went for it 100%. I didn't know, I really didn't know my roommate that I was about to live with. I didn't know her brother who I was also going to be living with. I had never been to Scottsdale before. I didn't have a job and I barely had any money in my bank account, but I just took that leap and 
I would say that was the hardest thing for me to do, but also the best thing for me. I think that was one of my biggest decisions I've made in my 26 years um, that that really helped set my path. Uh, but as far as playing went, I had such a, a strong team behind me, my parents and my, my whole family and my college coach still supports me today. And I was able to find the right coach in Arizona and he became my support team here. So from there, I just kind of built a little family and a little team in Arizona and, and went with it. So like, how do you become a professional golfer? Do you like, is there a tryout to see if you can get on the tour? Do you qualify? Like, do you just show up? Like, what do you do? <laughs> you just show up. You just kind of like bring some clubs and here I am, huh? <laughs> Yeah, so golf is a lot different than any other sport, and I think a lot of people don't actually know that the answer to that question. So with golf, you can pretty much sign up for any tournament as a professional, but once you do so, there's no going back. So tournament entry fees are more expensive when you're a professional, and once you turn pro, you can accept sponsorships and money but you can no longer ever play in amateur events again so you're giving up that right so for me my first year I decided to remain an amateur when I moved to Arizona and I played on the cactus tour as an amateur so my my entry fees were a lot cheaper but I couldn't accept any sponsors but I figured for me, I didn't think I was going to go out and win a bunch of money right away. So it was worth it for me to save the money on the entry fees and get some experience under my belt. Then I started realizing I had potential to receive sponsorships. And my first one was actually Nike. And that's when I decided, okay, this is serious. You know, my social media has kind of taken taken off right now so I decided to enter into my next event as a professional and that's that's basically all you have to do but it wouldn't it, it's not that everybody can be a pro there would be no benefit for somebody to go sign up in a tournament as a professional and then just go walk around claiming that they're a professional golfer but, um, but like if I wanted to I could technically do it Technically, yes, but you wouldn't have any status on any tours. Like the way you get status on a tour, you have to go compete at Q school or qualifying school. So for the women, we have LPGA qualifying school. You go, it's three different stages. The first stage is one, one tournament of four days, and you compete against hundreds of other women and try and make it into stage two. Stage two is another tournament. You go there, do the same thing, and then try and make it into the final stage, and that's where you can earn your LPGA status. So if you are just some random Joe Schmo on the street and you want to be a professional golfer, great, go sign up in a professional event. It's probably not, you're not going to get anywhere with it until you go get status on a tour. How much of a difference is there between like a really good golfer, you, and then somebody who say is mid-level, top level on LPGA? Um, no. So there is not a big difference at all. And that's 
that's kind of the the big question, I guess, in in golf is how do you how do you make that jump and be you know the top golfer on the LPGA tour versus somebody like me who's currently you know scrambling on many tours what's the difference between me and those golfers and there really is a small difference and trying to narrow down like what I can improve on is so hard sometimes that might might be the hardest hardest issue if I go out on on the driving range and I hit balls next to Lexi Thompson and all the other big names on tour you probably wouldn't be able to pick me out and be like oh that girl clearly doesn't belong here like I my swing is is solid I have a good game but the difference is so small it's just you know those girls making more birdies or who can handle the, the pressure or who can make the leap down the stretch it's really small differences I think the difference between an amateur golfer or like a weekend warrior versus a professional golfer though is big when when you look at it and reflect on it kind of yourself like between you right now and an LPGA player what's do you see something like, oh, I, I need to do this, I need to do that? Or is it really just depends on the day? Yeah, I so I keep all of my stats and I evaluate where I go wrong on the course and the differences. And I always, I love playing with golfers who are better than me. Who doesn't, right? You want to get better and, and improve. So when I play with golfers that I consider to be better than me or have better status than me, I really focus on where they score and how they score. And I think what I have come down to is those girls are making more birdies. So when I have a birdie putt opportunity, I may make it, may not. When they have a birdie putt opportunity, they're going to make it. So a birdie putt opportunity is usually like 10 feet or or closer. They're going to make those putts. So mine's like maybe a 50-50 chance if I make it or not, they are going to make it. And I think it's not that they're better putters. I think it's a mental check that they know that they need that birdie or they have worked hard to put themselves in that position to get that birdie. So they're going to make it. Whereas for me, when I step up to that putt, it's like, I really want this birdie. I kind of want it too much. I'm putting a lot of pressure now on myself to, to make that. So I might make it or I might not. <laughs> um, so it's kind of figuring out what mental approach works best for you. I'm a true believer in the mental game and, and it's a huge aspect to professional golf and probably any professional sport. Is it, do you think that golf is more of a mental sport than other sports? Yeah, 100%. I do just because golf is so different where there is not action the entire time. You you spend I think I don't know the statistic or the the numbers on this, but I think it's something like during your entire round you only really spend like 40 minutes or maybe even less than that really focused on the shot. And actually, it might be a lot less than that. It might be like 20 minutes. You spend like 20 minutes, but a round could take four hours. So you have all of that time to walk up to your ball and think about 
whatever is going to come into your mind. You have to train yourself to stay focused when you need to be focused, but to let go when you need to let go. So that's something that I struggled with for a long time is I would be focused the whole time. And I, it was like a little, if you could just picture my mind, I, it would be like a fist, a ball of you're putting your fist in a ball. I was just clenched up all the time. Like I'm going to focus. I'm going to win. I'm going to, you know, whatever. So intense. And that's not how the game needs to be played. You cannot be that focused and that intense for four hours. You're going to, I used to be exhausted by the end of my rounds. And so I think mental game with golf is you have to know when to focus, which is when you get up to your shot now you need to clear your mind, focus in, dial in on what you need to accomplish, focus while you hit the shot. And as soon as the shot is gone, you have to release and just pick up your bag and walk to the next one. So for you, like, what's the ultimate goal? For me, the goal is to make it on the LPGA. I think not only has that been something that I've wanted for a while now, but it's something I think I could make a difference in and kind of change the game a little bit and help, you know, use my platform for good. I have built a small platform with my social media and it's so cool to see that I have impacted some younger women, younger girls in some way and helped them in some way or inspired them even the slightest bit. So I think if I were to make it on the LPGA, I could reach so many more people. You do a lot of stuff for charity. Like what, why do you want to be so involved? Um, I feel like I have just been impacted in my life to see the good and some of the charities and, and what these organizations do. And they have, you know, helped me get through some stuff as far as, for example, I, I will just give this example. In college, we were given the opportunity to carry a golf bag of a fallen soldier. So we all had our own team golf bag. And then we had one extra bag that had not our name on it, but it had Lieutenant Mark Jennings Daly on it. And one player got to carry that bag each week to the tournament. So whenever I got to carry the bag, it just was such a good reminder for me that, you know, this person gave up their life. They, they fought for our country and I got to share his story while I had the bag. People would ask about it and I got to talk about him and share his story and meet his, his parents. And it just reminded me that there are such greater things in life than, than a game of golf. And it helped me put that into perspective and not get so frustrated on the golf course. Anytime I hit a bad shot or, or I wanted to get mad or, you know, slam my club down, I would see his bag over there with the American flag on it. And I was like, okay, that's a ridiculous thing to get upset about. And it really did just help me put that into perspective and learn more about perspective. So from that moment on, I figured I wanted to help give back to organizations like that. And I actually got involved and now work for backswing golf events. And a lot of our, probably 90% of our events, we go out to charity events and help raise money for the charity. And it is so much fun to 
go out, you raise money, you have a fun time out on the course that day, you get to hit shots and interact with people and meet new people. And then at the end, you go in and you give the tournament director the money that you raised for that day. And we raised a lot of money for these for these charities. We, we raised a million dollars last year. Wow. Um, so we, you know, walking in and giving that money over and seeing how happy they are and how excited they are, it's it's really cool that you can make a difference, you know. And, and for me, it's great. It's like a win-win all around because I get to work on my golf game and be outside and meet new people. And, and help charity is golfing like other sports like do you have a physical prime no i wouldn't i wouldn't say that golf has a physical prime i mean look at people on tour right now look at phil mickelson phil's what 50 he's in his 50s now and he's still out there just crushing it so i would say that when you're younger obviously it might come a little easier because probably easier to gain muscle and be fit and strong and healthy you have to work a little bit harder as you get older for those things but i wouldn't say that there's a physical prime so many people play it i mean my grandma's 84 years old and she still plays golf are are you ready for the harder slash listener submitted questions i am ready do you get tired of walking I actually prefer walking on the golf course, especially when I'm in a tournament, because I think that gives me time to be by myself and just enjoy being outside and just kind of part of nature, I guess. So, no, I don't get tired of walking, but I work out enough to make sure that I don't get physically tired. (laughs) Favorite golf course? My favorite golf course is Crosswater in Sun River, Oregon. Grew up playing there. And then my senior year, I won our conference championship there. So I have a lot of good memories there. Popular golf course other people seem to like that you do not. Oh, um, I feel like I do have an answer to this. I just have to think about it for a second. There's a lot of courses in Arizona that I feel like get so much attention and I'm like, uh, I don't really like the hype. Um, for example, um, one course that I have yet to play very well is true North. Um, I can't even think of which side it is, but it's a treat to, to go out there because it is very nice. But I have not played it well yet. So, can't say I love it, but it is very, very nice. Um, Another course I would say, Talking Stick, here in Scottsdale, is really popular and not a huge fan. Think it's a little overrated. I like the hidden gems, the ones that aren't super popular, but when you go out, you just have such a fun time and it's a nice surprise question from somebody do i need to wear pants to impress my friends when golfing will that help me out and make me look like a better golfer than i really am hey look good feel good play good right that's that's my motto um no you don't need to wear pants but i would recommend not wearing jeans on on any golf course even if they allow it probably just don't wear jeans but you can wear shorts. I think that that's fine. <laughs> I've I've always had a problem when people like really show their socks. Like when they wear like the ankle socks, I feel like that mm-hmm. 
Like that guy, that person's not going to be a great golfer. <laughs> um, I think if you just, you know, really rock your look with confidence, go for it. But I think there, I would just look up like some of the Nike models or something, Nike golf models, because I think their, their line right now is so new and hip and it's like a new version of golf and they're kind of remaking the golf look and so it's more athletic nowadays so you can wear high top golf shoes and cool shorts and a nice collared shirt and look really legit and look like an athlete rather than you know, looking like your 80 year old grandpa who's been playing at the country club every weekend. <laughs> His whole life wearing the yeah. same shorts he's had since 1990. Yeah, exactly. Best movie about a golfer. Um, or best, go- best golf movie, worst okay. golf movie. Best golf movie. My favorite is Seven Days in Utopia. A lot of people don't know of that movie, but I would definitely check it out. And it's all about the mental side of golf. Um, it's also a book. It was a book first. But Seven Days in Ut- Utopia, for sure. Worst golf movie. Um, I don't really have one that I really dislike, but I will probably get so much hate for this. But Happy Gilmore is just not my favorite. <laughs> Yeah, if you would have said Caddyshack, I was thinking of hanging up. I was. Oh my gosh, no, Caddyshack for sure is in, but and Ten Cup is in, but Happy Gilmore is probably my least my least favorite out of all of them. I could see that. It's kind of. But did it get worse for you? Because I feel like Adam Sandler made some movies later on that kind of uh-huh. ruined his earlier movies in some way. Yeah, I think it's just like that stupid funny, you know? And so after a while, it's like, okay, it's not that funny anymore. (laughs) But it's okay. Like, I I still watch it, and I still like doing the Happy Gilmore swing, and I appreciate it for the golf world, but it's my least favorite. Favorite club in your bag? (sighs) Every club in my bag is my favorite. No, I'm just kidding. Every club in my bag is not my favorite. Um... Definitely, I am known for my driver. I love my driver. But I would say my putter is probably tied with my driver just because you have to fall in love with your putter. It's the most important club in the bag. So I'm not nearly a good enough golfer to really know the difference. But I mean, is can you hit basically every club like as a as a professional is there really any difference like do you hit one club like man i can really hit this five but i can't hit this four um no actually it's funny that you asked that because i think until up until like maybe a year ago i always had one club in my bag that i just didn't like as much as the others there was always one and so you feel like that one club comes up all the time and around. You're like, shoot, I don't want to hit this club. This is my least favorite club. But now I think I've just kind of made that turn in my game where I don't have that anymore. It used to be something where I had to work on that club a lot because I would be, you know, stressed now when that yardage would come up. And now I'm like, I'm not afraid to hit any shot and I know I can pull off any shot. So, um, yeah, it doesn't really 
affect me anymore. But that definitely was a thing for me, especially in college. I always had one club I just didn't like as much. Are you are you actively thinking like during the swing, like, okay, tuck my elbow, twist my leg, or is it all muscle memory by uh, this point? Oh, definitely don't want to think about mechanics during your swing. That will not help you. So I always have one swing thought and it doesn't even have to be about the swing itself. It could just be, you know, target or tempo or, you know, breathe or whatever. Um, but I always have one thing. A lot of times I'll think about keeping a shorter backswing. I get, I tend to get really long with my backswing. So that's something that is more swing related that I think of, but that's it. I won't, I won't think of anything else. Um, best golf trick that you can do? I can't do that many trick shots. So I would say my go-to, I can, I can juggle and I can juggle between the legs and stuff and hit out of the air, but I can't do that many cool things. So my go-to trick shot that looks pretty cool is juggling and then I can catch the ball in my hat. I flip the hat around and let the ball fall through the little ponytail spot. And then I continue, I catch it and juggle it again. But that's honestly like so simple. Anybody can learn it. You can check it out on my YouTube because I did a full tutorial. (laughs) I mean, that sounds actually really impressive. It looks cool and it looks like, oh, that looks like a cool trick shot. Like that looks fancy. But it's one that you can probably tell it's not that hard and it makes other people want to try it. So I think it's a good one. Is I don't know if this is the right word. Dream golf foursome? Is that is Yeah. That... Yep. Okay. So my dream golf foursome, I was I feel like I change it all the time. It just depends on the day. Um I always include my dad because I think if I he's the one that got me into the game. So if I'm gonna go get to play with with some cool people, then he should get to come with me. So it would be myself and my dad. I'm probably going to have to say Tiger, and if I'm going to have those three, then it needs to be Phil. Phil, Tiger, me, and my dad, I think would be so fun. But I get to ride in a golf cart with Phil. (laughs) You're going to bail on Tiger over Phil? Yeah, because Tiger would be so intense, and I would probably be so nervous, and I wouldn't want to say anything stupid, so... I think with Phil, I could just joke around, could have a have a drink or two, have some fun. <laughs> have you ever lost to like a random person? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything, anyone on the top of my head. But yeah, there's there's people. I actually, one of my, my friends, his name is Terry. He's like, I think he's 73 years old and he plays golf here in Arizona. And I met him through one of my my professional golf friends and he invites me i'm going to play with him tomorrow morning he invites me out once in a while to go play with him and he is such a good golfer and he can beat me he hits the ball about the same distance as me and he can beat me on any given day he's shot his age many many times so like do you don't have do you have a handicap um, no, when you're a professional, you don't keep a handicap because okay. you don't need it anymore for tournaments. Um, but I just I play to a scratch, you know. I play yeah. play par golf, but lowest that you've ever shot sixty nine is my low. That's really all the questions that I have. What's what's kind of coming up next for you? 
So, uh, you know, because of everything, I don't really have anything right now on the schedule. I had my April and May are my two busiest months for work. And that's kind of when I work really hard, save up a bunch of money, and then I'm prepared for the rest of the year for golf tournaments and everything got canceled as you can imagine so i don't know right now the tour i think the wapc tour is supposed to start in june um lpga canceled all of their monday qualifiers for anybody who doesn't have any lpga status so those were at the top of my list for this year and now I can't go playing them. So I'm, I, right now my goal is just, I'm focusing on Q school, which got moved to October and I'm just going to make sure I'm prepared for that. I want to thank Haley so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we have also included her information on the RSS feed. That's on this podcast. She's got a really cool YouTube page. It's really cool. It shows you exactly what goes into being a professional golfer. And there's a a lot of creative stuff on social media there as well. We've also, we've noticed a lot of our guests are now creating TikToks. So we put her TikTok in there as well. And we created a TikTok for this podcast. And because I think that we're kind of too old to get it, we're going to be the awkward people on social media. If you want to check it out, like we'll see how just out of touch we can be for a little while. Hopefully we'll get at least, let's try to get five followers by 2021. Because I feel like this is going to go really, really badly for us. Okay, now let's go ahead and give John Shaw a call. Who do you lie to more, yourself or other people? That's a tough one. I'm going to say myself. That's what I would say, too, because I think it takes a while before you realize that you're actually lying to yourself. I don't disagree with that. I I, I think for sure, though, I'm definitely lying to myself more from everything from thinking that I don't have a weight issue to, uh, you know, my my tolerance on alcohol. What do you okay, you mentioned weight. What else do you think that you lie to yourself the most about? It's so hard for me not to get like deep on this conversation, but to try to keep it on the surface. Why can't you, you get know, deep? I, why why aren't why are you afraid to really tell the people who you are? <laughs> I'm not. I, you know, I just it's I I think the biggest thing that I, I lie to myself about is is or being honest to myself is like when I just need a break. Like, whether it's from my kids, uh, you know, at, at work, like stepping away for 10 minutes, you know, just that time to, to re- refresh or regroup or do, do something. Or like when my newborn's crying at 3 a.m. and like, I, you know, I'm punching the air just to try to fend off some aggression when I could just go in another room, you know, and just take 10 minutes and come back with, a, you know, clear eyes. Like, that's where, you know, I think I lie to myself the most. But I think we all do that. Okay, when you punch the air, are you going straight? <laughs> are you going straight left? You throwing uppercuts? You throwing hooks? Like, what's your what's your preferred air punching strategy in anger? <laughs> uh, let's see here. As I'm doing it, like, while holding the phone, it's probably the left, a jab, a right jab, left jab, then back to an uppercut, like a right uppercut oh, kind so- of thing. 
So you're throwing combos. You're not just like throwing big hail makers. You're throwing like pra- – how's your footwork? How's your footwork look? Are you shuffling your feet or are you just standing there throwing? No, I'm really just standing there throwing. Maybe like moving my hips, you know, like left or right or something to pretend I'm moving, but I'm really not moving. Are you bobbing and weaving with the head? Trying, you know. I mean, trying. I don't feel like that's like true rage punching. Like if you're throwing a combo – that's not real rage. Like, I think real rage is just one hit to the wall, and then you walk off. Like, if you've got time to throw in some jabs and slip in some footwork, I don't know what you're really doing. <laughs> I, I, I wish I knew. I mean, I, looking at it from that, that you know, thought process, maybe. God knows I, you know, really raged punch a lot of things, I guess, but... uh but no, you know, I like to do the, the bob and weave. Like picture, you know, that video came out of, of Mike Tyson recently. Like that that's what I like to think I look like. Just I'm hitting the air instead of a bag. What in reality you really look like is probably the thing that Mike Tyson was punching. One of those things <laughs> that like you hit and then it gets knocked all the way over and then it pops back up. That's probably what you really look like. <laughs> I mean, completely, uh, you know, 360-ing it. Uh, I heard that he has an offer. Uh, of $20 million or more to fight again. Like, you have to do it if you're him, right? Well, first of all, if you're 360-ing something, you're just coming right back around to where you were in the first place. Do you mean 180 Yeah, we were talking it? about Mike Tyson, so I said we're going to keep, we're just going to keep coming back Oh, so I'm the idiot then. Okay. No, no you're right. I, I don't want to call you an idiot. I just, you know, maybe it didn't make sense the way I said it. I thought you were going to, like, change directions, but then you came right back around. The thing we were so you three sixty. So I was wrong there. No, we're we're just one direction, like the boy band. Heyo. I don't actually know any of their songs. Uh, I know one. That's it. I mean, if okay, what name it? Story of my life. I can't think of it. It's the story of my life. I'll take you home. Don't know the rest of the song, but I I can hum it. How much? Anyways, getting back to Mike Tyson. If you're Mike Tyson, do you take the fight knowing you're probably going to get get your ass beat for twenty million dollars? Would I take any fight for twenty million dollars? Yeah, I would take a fight for twenty million dollars. But if you're Mike Tyson or any kind of boxer that's probably has a history of some sort of head injuries, uh, you might get that last one that kind of pushes you over the edge. So I would actually say no, especially for a guy like that who can basically make money any way, any time that he wants to. God, what a what a crazy story his life is. It, either way, I just I saw that video of him on Instagram or whatnot where he was like, uh, you know, shadow boxing or whatever they call it. And I was like, holy shit, for a 53-year-old guy, I think he'd kill me if he hit me anywhere in the body. Yeah, probably. Look, this isn't a sports show. Actually, we just did interview Listen, a professional golfer. we can go off on a tangent every now and again, all right? I know, but I have to shut it down because I know that's what you really want to talk about is sports. And so in that case, I, <laughs> I just can't let it happen. It's not let's worth- talk about our feelings again. Well, uh, let's not. Let's not. Look, here's my other question for you. <laughs> if you're in a situation, say you're meeting somebody you're trying to impress or you're in a job interview and you need to sound smart. What is your go-to move to try to sound intelligent even though you don't know what's going on? I, I would stay quiet and only interject 
or or you know or or be a part of the conversation when I could absolutely contribute something that would not make me look inadequate. Yeah, but see, then I think if you do that though, then you get to the very end, feel like you have to say something. And then say something stupid, and it's the last thing that anybody says, and then everybody remembers that that was dumb. <laughs> I mean, I you know that's that's why you got to stay the course. I mean, I think you know you let everyone else talk, you do this, maybe you chime in every now and again with like a fancy sentence or like a well thought, yeah, you know, a well put together thought or something. But like you just don't, you know, you don't do what John Shull does, and you just start talking, and then everyone gets up and leaves, and then you're just left there to go, oh. All right, guess meeting's over. Now, when you say John Shaw, were you referring to your father, or did you just refer to yourself in the third person? <laughs> I don't think – I was referring to me. I don't think you want to be in a meeting with my father. That's probably a very short meeting with lots of yelling. Um, are you the kind of guy that if you have to make a presentation, are you going to try to open with a joke? Uh, no, no. I mean, no. I'm not, I'm not that kind of person. Okay, I appreciate, not usually. I appreciate that. That's the correct answer. <laughs> I mean, but I don't mind. I mean, if it's a well, if it's like a well placed joke to kick off some kind of present, I don't care. I mean, I'll laugh. I don't give a shit about the joke at the beginning of your PowerPoint. Get to the fucking point and let's get this over with. How much time in a meeting do you actually spend doing something that's productive? In any meeting you're in, probably less than ten percent. Okay, so you have the first ten percent of the meeting people are paying attention, and then I think everybody except for the person who's giving it basically just in completely tunes out until something kind of brings them back around and they get worried that somebody's going to ask them a question and then they have to really try to mentally catch up and then they're way behind and it's fucking over. I think Zoom has proved that to us. I mean, now people literally can just have, you know, they just can call in and you have no idea what they're doing. They're probably not even listening. No. I mean, I haven't been listening to you this entire time. And it's only me and you in this conversation. I've tuned out three times already thinking about if I should have wings or hot dogs for dinner. That's to like homemade wings or wings from a store? Yeah, it's homemade and it never fucking turns out right. So I guess I'll just go with hot dogs. Yeah, man. Get some chili, some cheese. Have a Coney dog. Yeah, the problem is it's turkey hot dog, though. Ah, uh, you hipster motherfucker it's on, beef hot dogs for god's sake it's on sale i'm not fucking passing up a dollar 99 eight pack of hot dogs <laughs> get the fuck out of here fancy pants anyway <laughs> are you ready do you have any shout outs to people yeah let's do it and i'm gonna i'm gonna do it controlled and slow this time seeing you chastise me last week okay so for people who maybe didn't hear last episode John has this habit of when he gives people a shout-out, it's unclear if he's saying the person's first name and last name or if he's saying two different names because he runs it together. So real quick, <laughs> give me like give me like the first three the way that you normally would and then try to actually do a good job. All right. So uh, here we go. We're, gonna get, we're going to give some shout-outs now. We're going to go uh, Susan Keith Bart. So that's how I would normally do it. He would, he would be a little bit slower on the Bart, but he would go like Susan Keith. And then you'd Susan be unclear Keith. if it was Susan Bart. Keith as one person or Susan Ann Keith. Okay. <laughs> I'm working on it here. It's a learning process. We've only been doing this for almost 100 episodes. I'll get it sooner or later. So anyways, yes, yeah, so let's give some shout-outs the proper way. So we will start off with Susan. Uh, thank you, Susan. Keith, Bart, Robert Russo, appreciate you. Jamie, Alicia, Brian Arnold, Olivia, Matthew, 
and Elizabeth Turner. Appreciate everyone checking us out, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You know where we're at. Uh, appreciate everything. So I think that was much more controlled. I only hit the inhaler once or twice, and uh, I'm ready to go. So The only problem is I tuned out because for some reason my <laughs> wife, who I'm pretty sure is high right now, is sending me pictures of Russia because she's never seen pictures of Russia, and now she's just randomly sending me pictures of Russia. <laughs> like, I don't know what the fuck is happening upstairs. I, I, well, I, I don't know, but I'll, I'll keep you on here for at least another 15 so you don't have to go, you know, see what's going on up there. Well, now I kind of want to know what Russia looks like. Do you know what Russia looks like at all? Uh, to a certain point, yes. Do you? Or have you just seen a picture of that, like, candy cane looking <laughs> thing? The, the Kremlin? <laughs> Or St. Peter's I mean, Square. I, I, like, have you I, I, ever seen a picture of Russia, an actual picture of what Russia really looks like? Yes. What does it look like then? I, I mean, it's hard. I mean, if I had to describe it quickly to somebody, it's going to make no sense. It's basically like a gigantic oval. I'm not talking uh, about on a map, dude. I'm talking about the actual, like, what the actual country looks like. Oh, I mean, it's too hard to describe. It's It's so big there's so many climates like the north is one climate south is the other like i don't, I don't know how to describe it I, I would i guess if we're saying that i would say that you're what you said earlier is probably the best example people think of the kremlin or the candy cane looking thing and that's all they think of yeah i don't think anybody's really seen a picture of russia or the uh or you know the the, the if you're if you watch a lot of movies uh, the Soviet symbol from the eighties. Oh yeah. You know I, mean? I wonder. You think that place where Ivan Drago was training is a real place, or you think that was a movie set? Like you think they really got a gym? I mean, that's a lot of open, wasted space. If you think about it. No, I think that was a movie set. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think they filmed any of that in Russia. Yeah, probably not. I guess Russians would probably have a problem with you making a cunt movie about how their country. Is a bunch of dicks. They probably would. Oh yeah, sure. Come right on in. Go ahead and make this movie sly. We we love the Italian Stalin. They helped us win World War Two. Aw, too soon. Um. All right. Anyways. Uh. Moving on here. So what? Are you gonna wear tight jeans or short shorts? Ooh. Where am I at? Uh. Let's see here. It's spring slash summer. So we'll say. You're walking down downtown Seattle. Short shorts. Kind of hanging out on a Saturday afternoon. I would I, I would have to say short shorts because they probably just ultimately be more comfortable. And <laughs> look, for people who have never seen me in person, I have fantastic legs. <laughs> even even through the quarantine and COVID, uh, you have fantastic legs. I bet. If you ever see me in public, ask to see my legs, and I'll be like, oh, you would be like, oh wow, yeah, he has nice legs. You're at a grocery store. Are you getting a uh, a shopping cart, a mini shopping cart, the little basket, or like a electric scooter to get your groceries? I've never been on one of those. <laughs> have you ever gotten on one of them? I have. They're actually not uh, – to me, they're not – I mean, they're not impressive. Half the time, the batteries aren't even charged, so they die anyways. It's kind of a ridiculous thing if you think about it. Like, oh, I I can't wait to drive this electric scooter. You probably got there in a car, right? A car (laughs) is much fucking funner than that thing. You can go a lot faster. 
you can do a lot more things, but still, every time you walk by those electric scooters, you're like, oh, be badass. <laughs> like, dude, you just rode here in a car with like 600 horsepower. You're, it, it's cool. <laughs> I always, I love the people that walk in through the front and they, you can tell that they're walking. Like, they could probably make it around the store, but they just get in one and take off. Wow. Why don't you not judge people's disabilities? You don't know their life story. I, you always do. I'm not judging people with disabilities. I'm just clearly stating a fact that I think we've all thought about. As we're all lugging our fat asses around the store, we see what seems to be a healthy person. Maybe they're not, but they seem to be a healthy person. Get in the scooter and drive away. You know what? I've had that thought when I was much younger. And now that I'm an older, wiser man, I've also had the thought that, you know what? I don't know what issues that particular person is facing. Maybe I shouldn't be so quick to judge them. Um, no, I mean, it depends on what, how big a stuff I'm getting. Like, it's just completely how much stuff I'm getting dictated. I never go big cart. I always go like the, 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 the smaller size cart. I don't know oh, where always. you're shopping. What are you talking about? Big cart. Are you talking about so like the, the flat re- panel thing that they have at like Costco and. No. So you have, I shop at Meyer. So you have, they have the, the big, the regular size carts. You know, like the the big rectangles with the, obviously all the space. And then they have like cut that in half. And that's like the smaller cart. It's much more maneuverable. And you can still get all the shit you want in it. And it takes up less space. I'm just going to go on record as saying this. Is that if you go to a grocery store and you have to change carts because of maneuverability, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> I, I never said I change. I just said I prefer it. But you're just like, oh, my God, I just can't get in and out of these aisles like I'd like to. I got to get a smaller cart. This is so difficult. I, I like the mini. I like this, the smaller carts. I'm sorry. And anyone who, who has dealt with them, I will guarantee you will agree with me. Are we talking like semi truck big? Because I've never seen these big carts before. This no, is, to I mean, me is not, ridiculous. They're just, re- they're just the regular size grocery carts, I guess. Like, uh, I don't mean to make them sound gigantic they're just regular size grocery carts but so your smaller big, ones are like half that size so your big cart is basically just a normal grocery cart you're trying to class it up by saying it's a big cart like it's some semi that you got to back in park through every aisle it's really just a normal thing that every other functioning adult seems to operate completely fine i guarantee you half the people listening to this right now guarantee uh they agree with me that the the, the smaller carts are better for many reasons. That's a lot of guarantees. Well, okay. I, well, if you have one with a bad wheel, are you going to return it or are you going to stick that out? No, I bitch about it, though. <laughs> okay. Of course I got <laughs> this fucking car with the fucking fucked up wheel in it. <laughs> That's about right. Yeah, that makes sense. God, it's got no turning radius. There's no turning radius. It's the worst when you get one of those and the wheel keeps, like, sticking and it makes that vibrate that vibration all throughout the cart and you're just like, fucking sucks god i will get pretty mad i'll try to front load it to see if i can like i'll try to front load the area where the wheel is to see if i can balance it out but it just doesn't work (laughs) see so you know before you call me crazy and insane we all think about our grocery carts every day when we are not every day but when we have to use them but never in my life have i ever thought you know what that big cart just not maneuverable 
Just can't handle, just can't handle that much power. Got to go with well, the mini car. Never have I thought that in my life. Um, you are will you, now, I guarantee it. Actually, I take my little son's wagon because the grocery store is just down the street. I, he rides in the wagon. I load up the wagon and walk out. It's pretty easy. Very handy. <laughs> well, that's that's cute. Um, yeah, it is. All right. Are you ready for a top five? Yeah. So our top five is top five things that people lie about. Not necessarily that John or I lie about. But just the things that we think in general people lie about. What's your number five? Uh, I have uh, what a person does for a living, so their career. Who's lying about that? I don't even I, I think, think about that. I think it's very common to be talking, uh, you know, whether you're on a social setting or if you're, you know, meeting someone's family for the first time and they're like, oh, what do you do? And, you know, you lie or, or you – yeah, you know, I work at JCPenney's, which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But, you know, people would – I feel like people lie a lot and, and don't say what they actually do or don't, uh, you know, talk about their actual responsibilities. Well, I you think – I, I do think – I see what you're saying in some sense. I completely disagree with you that that deserves to be anywhere on the top five or even in the honorable mention. But I see what you're saying in the sense that like – I think, though, that people's titles necessarily aren't actually what they really do. You know, like you read a job description and you're just like, what the, what the fuck is that? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm more or less thinking of like, you know, you're dating somebody and they're in their, I don't know, they're a bagger at Meyer, right? And you take them home to the family and, oh, well, what, what do they do? Uh, well, they work at Meyer, you know, and, uh, and administration, administration. Right. Like, that's what I mean by like, I just think people lie a lot to, you know, cause either they're embarrassed or they don't want to say, that's why I put it on there. I think that happens a lot. I completely disagree. Um, my number five is I think that people lie about why they're not going to an event or why they're not going to work. I, I think that's a good one. I don't have that, uh, on my top five, but I, I, I don't, I don't, can't argue against it either. Okay. What's your number four? Uh, like you lie about your social status. Well, you know, in terms of your sexuality or, or, or things like that, you know, there's a lot of people in there are out there in the world who don't, uh, you know, reveal who they really are to a lot later on in life. Cause they're trying to be something else, uh, whether it's gay, straight, whatever. Um, so I have social status as my number four. Okay. I don't know how I feel about this. I feel like you're right. I feel like this is an excellent <laughs> example. And I'm also a little angry with you because I think it's dumb. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I, Joe, that's what it sounds like. It's a good number four, to be honest. <laughs> I got you all the feels, so I'll take it. Okay. My number four is number of sexual partners. All right. I actually have that as my number three. Oh, well, my number so, three, my number three is height. Okay. I don't, uh, I have height in my honorable mention. Um, I didn't put it on my top five because I don't think it's like that important. Like, you know, people lie about their height. Okay. I can see you. You're seven foot fucking tall. You're not five eleven. You know what I mean? Or or you're four foot seven like you are. You know, you're not five foot four and a quarter or whatever. First off, five eight and three quarters. Shout out to Stacy at USA Life Insurance. Best life insurance in the game. I think that people <laughs> I think that people accidentally lie about their height. Like I don't think they actually know how tall they are. I think that people get measured when they're in high school, like fifteen, sixteen, assume that they've grown two more inches. And then go with that number for the rest of their life. I mean, it sounds like you have some formula down, Pat, which I'll go with. Uh, 
I, I don't. I mean, I don't disagree. I'm sure. I mean, I I think I lie about my height all the time. I'm not six foot four, and I don't weigh two hundred ten pounds. You know what I mean? That's fine. How much? How tall do you tell people that you are? Uh, like around six foot, which okay. isn't the truth. I'm probably a good five nine, five ten. Do you? Wow. I once hey, look when I was in high school. No, I would have been twenty. I passed for six two on a fake ID, and not <laughs> not not someone else's fake ID. I took a good friend of mine's actual like birth certificate and that kind of stuff to the Department of Motor Vehicles and passed for six foot two. I'm five <laughs> eight and three quarters. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I mean that's just the DMV not giving a shit, obviously, but um. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't like. I don't know why I lie about it. Like, no one gives a fuck, right? Like, nobody cares how tall I really am. I, I think that everybody lies about it. So then you have to lie about it too. My number two, I put uh, finances. Okay, I just put salary, but I would agree with you. I feel like that's actually the same thing. Like how how well off or how poorly off or whatever you want to phrase it, somebody is. Yeah, I I was thinking. Uh, you know, I put it down thinking more of like like couples. And how that's like usually the, the biggest argument is either finding out someone's finances or like keeping it from them because you don't want them to know more or less. I usually go 10,000. Like if somebody tells me how much they make, I'm assuming it's between 10,000 less or 10,000 more. I don't ever think someone really tells the truth. To be, to be honest, I, I don't think I've ever asked somebody – how much like they make that I, that I can remember. Um, I mean, I think I found out about certain people and been like, Oh shit. But I don't think I've ever just been like, Oh, so what do you make? I've never asked somebody that I know. I've asked people that I don't know how much that they make, but I've never asked like in a common conversation, like amongst work people or amongst friends, like, Hey, how much you make it? <laughs> what you making? Give me that bacon. Uh, Man, you are pushing it today. <laughs> That's great. That should be a meme. That should be an internet meme right there. That's what is it? Uh, what you making? Give me that bacon. You know which one I saw recently is like you ever heard somebody say cruising for a bruising? <laughs> yeah, I've seen somebody say cruising for a bruising and asking for a baskin. Carol Baskin, did she kill her husband? Who knows? Hell yeah, she killed her husband. <laughs> Fuck yeah, she killed her husband. <laughs> What's your number two? Salary. I think our okay. number one All is right. probably the same, right? What's yours? Uh, your weight. Yeah, I think that's pretty much number one for everybody, which I don't really understand because like, I'm looking at you. If you were to tell me that you're 210 pounds and I can clearly see you're pushing three, like, I don't know why you bother lying to me. Like, Dude, I... I know you're not skinny. <laughs> well, I don't. I mean, I don't think like I don't. I don't like. I don't think I lied to like dudes. I don't. I, I. But to be then, I think about it. And I don't remember the last time like a woman asked me like, "Hey, how much do you weigh?" I'm just gonna get up and leave you with the entire bill during a first date. That that happened once, but that's <laughs> fine. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I just feel like just everyone lies about their weight, like one way or the other. It's a little bit pointless too, because everybody can clearly kind of see, right? Yeah, like, it's I, stupid. I can tell you as a uh, medium to large uh, person, uh, large. There's no, there's nothing that bothers me more than skinny people 
who act like they, and I understand that, you know, you can, you have issues, right? You have mental health issues. I get that, but it's very disparaging when you hear somebody who is in, you know, decent weight, you know, their BMI is not 160 complain that they're fat. No, I'm sorry, buddy. You all right? It's, it's fine. You going to stress hey, eat after this? Me. Can you give me a Twinkie? <laughs> she never listens. Never listens. Do you actually have Twinkies yeah. at your house right now? No, man. My wife is banging sugar. How's that working out? I mean, I'm sneaking some, all right? <laughs> What's in your honorable mention? Uh, so I, I have height. Um, I also I put on here like what, what you eat. I think people lie a lot about like their diets. And then I, I didn't want to put this one on the top five because I didn't want to like get into a, a, a discussion about it because I know we stay away. But I think people lie about their political affiliations. Yeah, I could see that. And yeah, that's that's kind of what I had. Let's see. The other things that I had were um, penis length. I think people lie about that. <laughs> Criminal record. I think people lie about that. I I think people lie on their resumes a lot. Maybe not outright lie, but really push the exaggeration. Like, where you're knocking right up against that, where it's almost <laughs> a lie. And then I would, and then the last thing I would say is their athletic ability. Yeah, I, I never, I never believe somebody who's our age that talks about the glory days. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, I remember playing football back in college, and you know, no, you didn't play college football, Trey. Stop talking. We all know you had three tackles your senior year, and that's what you're living on. Is Trey a real person? Uh, no, he is not. Is he based on a real person? <laughs> uh, he could be. I think he had a few more than three tackles, but yes. Okay, well, good for Trey. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. Our next episode is our 100th episode. We're gonna do, we're gonna do something special, or maybe this will be something I'm lying about. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.